Welcome to the Vertical Church Podcast. Now here's Pastor Josh Butcher with today's We're message. The series is actually week four of a series called Finished, where we've been looking at the uh, last words of Jesus from the cross. And, um, and, and not to like dive into Jewish history, but um, the most important day in the Jewish calendar is a day uh, called Yom Kippur. It's, uh, it's called the Day of Atonement. And uh, it's the day when the high priest makes uh, sacrifice for all of the people, all of the nation, the, all the sins of the nation. In fact, in Leviticus chapter 16, uh, it's outlined how this would take place. There was a series of sacrifices uh, to, to make atonement, or the word atonement is really a, a fancy word that means payment, to make payment for the sins of the people. And basically what would happen um, the, the, the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And what that is, is that's basically a room in the temple where the Ark of the Covenant was. The Ark of the Covenant is this, this very, very religious, holy, sacred piece of furniture in the Jewish uh, religious tradition. And uh, they, the, the, the Ark of the Covenant had these uh, basically angels' wings, kind of, as, you know, I don't want to get too technical, but uh, hovering over it where they said the very presence of God dwelled right there hovering over the Ark of the Covenant. And the high priest would enter in, and he would go into the Holy of Holies, and he would uh, sprinkle some blood and stuff and, 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 and make atonement for himself so that then he could make atonement for the people. And uh, so there was, there was several sacrifices. A, a bull would be sacrificed. And then the one I want to kind of narrow down this morning is, is um, there were these two goats, uh, two goats would be chosen. They'd be perfect goats, and of course, and all that. But they would take these two goats, and basically they would roll the dice. They called it casting lots, but you could just think of it like you're rolling dice because that's kind of the idea. And and basically they would roll the dice, and one goat would would be chosen to die, and the other goat would be chosen to live. And what would happen is the goat that was going to die. The priest would slit the goat's throat, collect the blood, don't be too gross, but collect the blood, take it into the Holy of Holies, sprinkle it on top of the, the Ark of the Covenant to make atonement, to, to, to pay for the sins that had been committed that year. And then he would come out with his hands all bloody, and he would take the other goat, the goat that got to live, and he would place his hands upon the goat's head, and he would confess all of the sins of the nation for that year, he would confess them, and mysteriously, spiritually, what would happen is all of the weight of those sins would be placed on that goat's head. And uh, after he finished, a man would come and lead the goat outside of the city and basically chase it away into the wilderness uh, to, to never be seen again. And that this goat had a nickname. Uh, they, they would call this goat the scapegoat. And you've probably used that vernacular, that terminology for something you didn't even know it had this, this beginning in this religious tradition. And so the scapegoat would carry the sins of the people outside away from them so that they did not bear the weight of their sin. In other words, the goat did the did the time even though the people did the crime, right? Like, like the goat paid the price for the people's sin. And the reason I bring that up is because it's a it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does hanging between heaven and earth. For Jesus is not only the sacrificial goat whose blood is spilled, but he's also the scapegoat 
who's on whom all of the sins of the world from every time and place are laid upon his shoulders and he carries the weight for us. In fact, 2 Corinthians or Colossians chapter 2 verse 17 says that these things in the Old Testament, these sacrifices, they are a shadow, they are a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so they point to Jesus. And so Jesus is both the sacrificial goat and the scapegoat carrying the weight of our sin. Uh, I, Lex, will you come here real quick? I didn't even talk this over with you, and but you're the right size for this illustration, uh, at least the second part, because this is my son Lex. Give it up for him. Um, so let me, let me illustrate this one more way, and then we'll really jump into what, what we're talking about. Let's say Lex had an injury, okay? Let's say he had a broken leg. Pretend, pretend this leg is broken, okay? You can't... You can't walk, right? If I'm going to help him, right, what am I going to do? I'm going to come alongside of him, and I'm going to, I'm going to bear a little bit of his weight while he hobbles on the other leg, right? Now, now, that's if he had a broken leg. All right, come back over here. Let's imagine that he's not just got a broken leg. He's completely unconscious. Be completely out cold, like completely unconscious. If you drop to the ground, uh, he's out, okay? He's done. Now, if I'm going to help him, I'm not just going to come alongside and carry some of his weight. What I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to pick him up. There we go. Be, are you out cold? Okay, he's out cold. So what I'm going to do, if I'm going to help him, I'm going to have to carry all of his weight, right? Because he can't carry himself. I have to carry him to safety. So he's out cold. i got to take him wherever I've got to take him. You see what I'm saying? This is exactly what Jesus does. Check this verse out in Ephesians. Uh, let's go to the Ephesians verse. This is Ephesians chapter 2. This is what Jesus does for us. Look at this. You're out cold. You're good? Okay. He says, as for you... You were what? You were dead. dead. You weren't broken-legged. You weren't hobbling. You weren't barely making it, but able to get a little bit of momentum. No, no, no. Paul says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And so Jesus had to come. Jesus had to bear, <laughs> bear your entire weight. All right. Give, I'm getting tired. All right. Give it up for him. You can start that down. I wanted to show you because sometimes we think that we think that Jesus came to make bad people good. No, 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 no. We weren't bad people. We weren't, we weren't limping along in life. No, no. Ephesians says we were dead. We were dead weight. We were unconscious. We were out cold, and Jesus came to bring us back to life. That's really important to understand the word that Jesus speaks from the cross today. Because this is not an easy word. The fourth word from the cross is a word of abandonment. It's a, it's a word that, quite honestly, it, it's uncomfortable to read. There's a, there's a hopelessness and a terror in this scene, in this word. Because it, it's just difficult to, to, to fully grasp. In fact, Charles Spurgeon, the great uh, preacher in, in, in Britain, uh, back in the 1800s, he said this about this passage. He said, there is no plummet that can fathom this deep. There is no eagle's eye that can penetrate the mystery that surrounds this strange question. 
And the question is the very word that Jesus spoke from the cross. And look at this, Mark chapter 15, verses 33 and 34. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So for three hours, it's just dark. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, thankfully they translated it for us, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let me pray for you this morning as we try to unpack this. Lord, we gather here today realizing that it is impossible for us to fully understand the weight that you carried on your shoulders. It's impossible for us to understand the agony that you went through in order to bear our sins on yourself, Jesus. But today, give us, give us some insight. Give us some, uh, help us to lean in and grasp just a bit of the mystery of this text, of this passage of Scripture. And Lord, as we do that, help us to respond, not with not, not simply out of knowledge, but help us to respond out of love for you. In your son's name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. Up until this moment on the cross, Jesus had been able to maintain composure. Think about it. The first word from the cross is a, is a word of forgiveness. He, he looks at the crowds around him who, who are responsible for his crucifixion. These are the people that killed him. And he says, Father, forgive them. So he's, he's, he's focusing on his enemies from the cross. And then, then he looks beside him and he hears this outcry from the, from the guy who's being justly punished for his, for his crime. And, and, and Jesus gives him a word of salvation. Today you will be with me in paradise. On the cross, not only is he focused on his enemies, he's focused on others. And then last week we looked at this word of relationship when Jesus looks and he sees his mom and he takes care of his mom. And it's this, this word of, of, of love and, and, and relationship. But then something changes. It's as if the pain on the outside matches up with the pain that's happening on the inside. And so Jesus grows silent. What, from, from what we can tell, those first three words happened fairly early in the morning, before, before the sky grew dark. And then at noon, the darkness, darkness covers the area there. We don't, we don't, perhaps even the whole world grew dark. We don't, we don't know, but, but, but it's just this, this mystery because... The weird thing is, right, noontime, from noon to three, that's when the sun should be blazing. And we know it wasn't a, some kind of eclipse because this happened at Passover, and Passover was a full moon festival. And so it wasn't an eclipse. It was, some, some, it was as if the sun refused to look on a deed of shame like this. For the sun was created by the very words of God. And so responding to this horror and shame at what's happening to the word of God, the sun refuses to shine. And it's ironic because at his birth, right, he was, Jesus was born at night in the darkness of night. But there was a star in the sky shining bright and the, the, the sky filled with an angelic host proclaiming the, the glory of God. And so, and so and when he's born, the darkness is turned to, to light. And now that he's dying, the light is being turned to darkness. It's interesting how the Bible works things out like this. And, and scholars say that this is the point right here on the cross in this fourth word. Where, 
where it's as if the bloody hands of the priests are being laid on Jesus' head. And all of the sins of the world, past, present, and future, are coming together in this moment. And for the first time ever, Jesus is experiencing separation from his Father. The one from whom he could never be separated. The one whom he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And in this moment, he's feeling the forsakenness of God. In fact, uh, the, the New Testament talks about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Paul says this. He said, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. Uh, Peter says this, reflecting on Isaiah chapter 53. He says, he himself bore our sins. Just like that goat bore the sins of the Israelites. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And he quotes Isaiah 53, by his wounds, you have been healed. So Jesus, in this moment of, of abandonment, cries out, why, why have you forsaken me? And the, and the interesting thing about Jesus, he was familiar with rejection. Jesus knew what it meant to be rejected. He was rejected at his birth. The innkeeper said, sorry, we don't have any room for you and your family. You have to go, you have to, go to a cave or you have to go to a stable. He was, he was rejected by his siblings. They didn't believe in him until after the resurrection. He was rejected by most of the people in the nation of Israel. He was rejected by the Jewish leaders. They're the ones who, who killed him. He was rejected by his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane as they abandoned him. He was rejected by Judas as he betrayed him for some pocket change. And he was rejected by his best friend Peter as he stood there and denied he even knew who Jesus was. But this, this by far was the worst rejection he had ever experienced in his life. It was as if Jesus himself was being shut out of the Garden of Eden, just like Adam and Eve. He's, he's experiencing the weight of this. John Stott, an English Anglican priest, puts it this way. Look at this on the screen. He says, our sins blotted out the sunshine of his father's face. Look at these hours on the cross, and you are looking into hell. You want to know what hell looks like? It looks like Jesus on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. We want to talk about hell and fire and pitchforks and, and, and horns and red men running around in suits. No, no, no. Hell looks like Jesus on the cross. Darkness, loneliness, and abandonment by God. He, he took on the darkness of the world so that we could live in the light of grace. He, he bore in himself the loneliness of separation from God so that we would never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, not by height, nor by depth, nor by things above, things beneath, powers or principalities. Nothing then shall separate us from the love of God. He, he was abandoned so that you and I could boldly go into the throne room of grace. He bore the weight of this. And, and, and here's the truth, right? The reality is it's impossible for us to really intellectually understand what happened here. It, it really is. Like, how do we understand? Theologians have spent, have, have, theologians have filled thousands of books and, and spent gallons and, and millions of gallons of ink trying to articulate 
the atonement of Jesus Christ, to try to figure it out, to try to work it out. But, but it's, it, even though, like, I've been in seminary, I've done all of that, graduated, wrote the thesis, did all of that, and here's what I've, the conclusion I've come to. There are some things you can't work out until you worship it out. There are some things that you can't enter into intellectually. You've just got to throw your hands up and say, worthy, worthy, worthy is the Lamb of God. To him be all glory and honor and power. You see, when our knowledge and truth doesn't lead us to worship, it's worthless. We can know all the things about Jesus. We can have all of the books memorized. But until we enter into a response of, this is beyond me, and I've just got to step into worship, then all of our knowledge is worthless if it doesn't lead us to worship. And I may not get it intellectually. I may not fully understand it, but I can enter into it devotionally. And what that means is worshipfully. I may not be able to understand it intellectually, how he bore my sin, how he carried my way, what that meant, what that looked like, how he accomplished it. But still, I can enter into the word devotionally, and I can look at it, and I can take away some things from, from this moment, not only that, that helps me in my relationship with Jesus, but also just pushes me to a place of worship. And that's one of the first things I want you to see. Uh, number one, this is the first thing we can take away from this passage of, uh, of Scripture. Scripture in his heart gave him traction in his grief. Scripture in his heart gave him traction in his grief. That fourth statement, those words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They are a direct quote from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. Jesus ripped off David and didn't even cite him. <laughs> he didn't even give him a footnote. He didn't even acknowledge that he's quoting David Probably because he's the one who inspired David to write it in the first place. So he's just borrowing back his own words. <laughs> David, I loaned you these words so that I could then use them a thousand years later as an as a outcry of my heart. Because, because scripture in his heart gave him traction in his grief. See, we all go through grief. We all go through junk. And we need traction. We need some, we, what, what is traction? Traction is firm footing. We need firm foundation. And what we discover in this moment is that in the midst of this grief, in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this sorrow, there was scripture inside of Jesus that came out of his mouth. In the moment that he needed it. It came out of him. And it's interesting that, that when God's word gets in our hearts, it'll spill out of us, even though like, like we, we, we understand that we still go through stuff. Death is defeated, but we still have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we can walk through it with firm footing and with traction and with a foundation if the word is hidden in our hearts. Amen. If we have scripture on the inside that gives us traction. Now, there's something powerful about the scripture Jesus quoted. I think, I think there's something that we can see in this because what it tells me that he quoted from Psalm, it tells me that praise is powerful. 
that praise isn't something we do just to prepare for the sermon, that worship isn't something we do just to get ready to hear from God, but worship can get us through the trial. When, when worship is on the inside of us, we can sing through our suffering. When worship is on the inside of us, we can sing in the valley, and when we can sing in the valley, we will guarantee ourselves another trip to the mountaintop. When we can sing out praise in the midst of our trial, in the midst of the fire that we're walking through. You see, worship and praise and thanksgiving, these things are not optional. It's not an option to give God glory. It's giving God glory that allows me to walk through whatever I have to walk through. Amen. Yeah. Worship, is, worship is a weapon. Worship, praise is powerful. Don't, don't underestimate the value of having worship hidden in your heart. There are times in my life, and this sounds really, really kind of uh, cheesy, but there are times in my life, I grew up in a, in a church, I grew up in a Church of God congregation, uh, headquarters in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we had these, uh, we didn't have like screens and lyrics because it was like the 80s and we didn't have projectors, but um, we had these red back hymnals, that's what they were called, they were called red back hymnals. Anybody remember red back hymnal? Miss Betty, you around anywhere, you had a red back hymnal? Um, we had these red back hymnals, and, and can I tell you something? I don't know why, and I don't know what it is, dude, but, but there are times in my life still today, I'm 38 years old, and I haven't sung out of a red back hymnal in 30 years. But there are times when I'm going through something, and there's a song that comes out of my mouth, and it's one of those. It's not, listen, I love, love, love every song that we do, every song that we do. But, and this is so weird, and I don't understand. I wish I could explain it. But the, when I'm rocking, like, like sometimes I'll rock my youngest son, Truett, and, and I, I can't remember a melody uh, that, that we sing today to save my life. But the, what comes out of my mouth, and, and I'm going to like totally butcher this, but what comes out of my mouth is just, He abides, He abides, hallelujah, He abides with me. I'm rejoicing night and day as I walk the narrow way, for the Comforter abides with me. Amen. And I just sing that over him because yeah. it's a worship that's been hidden in my heart. Yeah. Yeah. And I just say, I just say, once like a bird in prison I dwell, no freedom from my sorrow I feel. Then Jesus came and he said to me, and glory to God, he set me free. And I sing that over him. Why? Because it's worship that's been hidden in my heart. It's a word that's, that's been stuck there and I can't get it out. Why? Because it came into me when I was a little kid. Parents, I want you to understand this. I'm so far off track. I don't know where I'm at. I want you to understand this. Don't make attending the house of God optional for your kids. Amen. Don't do it. See, in our lives, we can get so many things that supersede the importance of coming together with God's people. But I'm going to promise you, I'm going to make a guarantee to you. If you will prioritize the presence of God, if you will prioritize gathering together with God's people in, in, in the life of your kids, God will prioritize your kids in the kingdom. Amen. I'm telling you. It's truth, man. You might not like it, but it's true because here's the thing. Some people are like, well, you know, I don't always get something out of church. You do, and you don't even realize it because God's putting deposits in you 
that, that he's, going to, he's going to bring out of you in the moment that you need it, but you don't even need it now because we overestimate our ability to understand what we need in the season of life, life that we're in. And so what God is doing two, three, four, 15 years before you need it, he's making deposits of the word of God and the worship of God in your life before you even need it to come out of your mouth. Where, where, where do we find Jesus? Jesus is a little kid, and his parents left him. They lost him. And where do we find him? We find him in the house of God. And he looks at his mom, and he says, Mom, don't you understand? I've got to be with God's people. I've got to hear his praises sung. I've got to hear his word taught so that I can live in a higher authority than the people around me. I've got to be planted in my father's house so that when the trial comes, the word will flow out naturally. Jesus didn't have an iPhone with you version on it. He didn't. He didn't have a concordance to flip through. Crucifixion, crucifixion, crucifixion. Okay, Psalm 22, 1. Okay, 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 okay. No, no, no. What was it? It was hidden in his heart. And it came out in the moment that he needed it. Number two. <laughs> Let me just, whoa, we're way off course. Anyway, it's good. Number two. Jesus overcame despair by rushing to God in it. Jesus overcame despair. By rushing to God in. I want you to see this. What did he say? He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He asked the question. He asked the first question that we all ask when we go through difficulty and trial and, and, and trouble. Why? Why is this happening? But notice what he does before he asks why. He says, my God, my God. He takes his despair. He takes his why and shows us what to do with the why. Because what we want to ask, anytime something that's difficult that happens in life, anytime we're walking through a fiery trial and we ask why, Jesus shows us what to do with the why. Go to God and ask him, my God, my God, why is this happening to me? What's he doing? He's refusing to let go of God in the midst of his despair. And instead of letting go of God, he rushes to God in despair. And by rushing to God in despair, he overcomes despair. Because he went to the Father. See, a lot of times we allow, a lot of times we let go of God and hold on to our why. And we lose faith and confidence in God and we hold on to our why, even though we don't know why. So we let go of what we know in favor of what we don't know. Never let go of what you know so that you can hold on to what you don't know. Hold on to what you know. And it's fine. You might want to say, God, why is this happening? I don't think you should let this happen. Quite honestly, I think this is a mistake. I don't think this is very fair right now. That's fine. That's fair enough. Listen, the suffering is real. The trial is real. The struggle is real. But here's what you can know in the midst of it all. God loves you. And he's working, and I don't know how, and I don't know why, but I know he sent Jesus to take my why. So in the midst of that, just try this. Try this prayer. Just, just try this prayer. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Because see, when my eyes are on him, my eyes are on my why. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's going on. I don't, I, I don't think this is very fair or very right, but God, I'm not taking my eyes off of you. My God, my God, I'm going to hold on with two hands. <laughs> I'm going to hold on to you with two clenched, whatever, grasped fists, and I'm not going to let go. 
no matter what comes my way. Number three, we never need to doubt God's love again. We never, I think this shows us that we never need to doubt God's love again because, because never has a greater show of love been given anywhere in any place. In fact, I heard this story in Casper, Wyoming. There was a woman, let me get her name right, Shelly Golay. A couple years ago, uh, she received flowers on Valentine's Day from her husband. A lot of people receive flowers from their husband, but when she got these flowers, she just, she broke down and started weeping. She started crying because her husband had died the year before. And so she didn't know what was going on. She thought it was a mistake. But she looked at the card. It was her. It was the right address. So it's not a mistake. And then, and so she called her kids. She thought, well, one of my kids sent it because they know this is going to be a difficult day for me. And so she called her kids and, no, Mom, we don't know what's going on. So she called the florist. And the florist said that the summer before, when her husband had been diagnosed with brain cancer and he's dying, he had just a few months to live, he arranged for flowers to be delivered to her every Valentine's Day for the rest of her life. Because out of his death came this act of love. Isn't that exactly what we see in Jesus? That, that, that no matter what we're going through, out of his death comes this resounding show and display of love. In fact, Romans chapter 8 verse 32 says it this way. It says, he who did not spare his own son, he, he, he's arguing from the greater to the lesser. He gave his own son, he gave him up for us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, Paul says, if God loved us this much, what makes you think that he won't do everything for you? That he won't, if he loved you this much, it's like, it's like if you go to a jewelry store and the jeweler um, gives you, just gives you, no, no, no surcharge, you don't have to pay for it, gives you the most expensive diamond in the entire store, right? Just gives it to you. Here, take it. Would you be nervous about asking for a bag to put it in? No. Why? Because he's already, the jeweler's already given you the most valuable thing in the whole store. Of course they'll give me a bag. That's, that's what, that, that's just like, that's like God. God. God has already plundered heaven. He's already bankrupted heaven for you and for me. Then what do we think? But he will give us all things. He will give everything. He'll graciously, Paul says, graciously give us all things. God, listen, before we wrap up, I want you to understand, God is for you. That's what we see in the cross. God is for us. He is not against us. This lie and myth of religion that God hates you, that God's angry with you, that God is punishing you because of your sin. And the reality is, no, God punished Jesus because of your sin. He loves you. He is for you. His heart is reaching out to you. And if he gave you that, will he not graciously give you all things that your heart desires? Matter of fact, he'll give you the desires that need to be in your heart so that then he can satisfy them. He doesn't just save you to keep you out of hell. <laughs> he saves you to bring you into heaven. Not the heaven in the afterlife, but heaven here and now. Amen. The, 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 the ripping of the divide between this world and that so that we can encounter the very presence of God. 
God doesn't save you to keep you out of hell. God saves you to shake the gates and foundations of hell. He wants to empower you. And I feel like God, like God wants some of you to know that he's just waiting, right? Like he's just watching from, from wherever he's at, whatever dimension or however you want to think of that metaphysical reality. And he's just waiting. He's like, man, I wish they would just pray a big prayer. <laughs> I want to do something. I gave him my son. Why, I gave them my son, and I want to give them every lesser thing as well. So, so just pray something big. Pray something that gets me involved. God wants you to do that this morning. God, didn't, God, God wants you to understand that you never have to doubt his love again. For Jesus, Jesus took all of the weight upon himself. And so I was trying to think, how do we wrap this up today? How do we respond to this? And, and so I'm going to ask Hope because I tried my hand at singing there just a second ago. It probably didn't go that well. We might cut that part out of the video. But um, <laughs> um, I, this week, this, this week, I've had this same song in, in my mind. And you can go ahead at, at the computer and go ahead and start playing. It's, it's, not, it's just a little pad track because it just helps to have some sound. And... Um, and, and it, it's, it's this old hymn called, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. And I thought all week I've just been having this song go through my mind just about, about trusting in God. So here's, what I, here's how I want to end this morning, okay? This is a little different for us. I want us just to end in worship. Because a word like this, we can't work out and maybe we don't intellectually understand everything that's going on. But I want us to respond in worship. Just with something so simple. The words are incredibly, she'll sing it one time, and you can go ahead and whenever you start, I'll probably will talk over you a little bit, but you you go ahead. And and the words are so simple. And, and let her go through it once. So and then just join. If you know the words, you can go ahead and jump trust in. Jesus, just just to take him at his just to rest, just to rest upon that promise. His promise. Just to have the faith Just to, to know the saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, say it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus how, how I trust Him and how Jesus, Let him know that you, you Jesus, know that all things Jesus, are in his hands. That he who did not spare. 
so much for joining us today. We always appreciate hearing how God is moving in your life. We all have a story to tell and we'd love to hear yours. Please visit verticalchurch.tv and click on the little pencil icon called Amen Corner to tell us your story. Also, if you'd like to support the ministry of Vertical Church financially, you can do so by clicking the giving link at verticalchurch.tv. Thank you again for taking the time to join us as we point those far from God to life in Jesus.